We're going over our series, um, Defending the Faith. Tonight is part eight, and we're going to answer the question, are the unsaved really lost? This is a, this is a challenging question because in our hearts, we, we know what the Bible says, and we also know someone we love that is lost, that is not saved, that is not right with the Lord, and so we struggle because we're, we're, we feel torn. We know what Scripture says, but we also know that we hope God gives some sort of uh, backdoor. And so we're going to cover that and, and so that we're, we make sure that we know what the Bible says. And our goal is never to take the Bible and make it say what we want it to say. Our goal is to take the Bible and let it say what it does say. And our beliefs need to change in accordance with Scripture, not Scripture changing um, in accordance with our beliefs. So uh, sometimes we, when we identify ourselves as Christians, we get attacked by ev- uh, because of being an evangelical. You know, if somebody even knows what that word means. For those of you that don't, an evangelical Christian is a person who believes that they need to share their faith. There are Christians who are not evangelical, meaning that they believe that God will save people, that he wants to be saved, and I don't have to preach the gospel, I don't have to witness, I don't have to share anything with anybody. If they're destined, if they're predestined for salvation, God will save them. If they're predestined for damnation, he won't save them. And it doesn't matter what I do. Those people are the non-evangelicals. We, however, take Jesus' words, go into all the world, that's a command, do something, go into all the world, and what? Preach the gospel, or Mark's version, make disciples of all men. That's a command to the disciples. He didn't say, you know what, it's perfectly okay, you don't have to do anything. I've predestined some people for salvation, some for damnation, so it's totally cool. Just enjoy Israel, and you know, walk around, meet people, have fun, you know. No, he specifically gave them a great commission, go get to work, you have a job to do. So when you identify, when you talk to somebody and they find out you're an evangelical Christian or are you one of those born-again types, you know, then they may ask you, why do you evangelize people in other countries? Why do you send missionaries to those places? Why are you messing with other people's perfectly good religions? They're perfectly happy worshiping their gods and lighting their candles and doing what they want to do, and you're going to go and mess all of that up. Well, the answer why we do that is because they are lost without Jesus Christ. And while to some people that seems exclusive, um, it may seem insensitive and it may seem intolerant, it is the reality. Some people are lost or people are lost without Christ. Not some people, all people are lost without Christ. So some people object and they say, well, I find it very difficult to believe that a loving God, a so-called loving God, would throw someone into hell just because he didn't believe in Jesus. Well, the problem is that people have a wrong, they, they have a, a wrong view of a person standing before God. They don't believe in the sinfulness of mankind that condemns all people. As I said on Sunday, one of the, the questions that I asked you is true or false. For the most part, people are generally good. And uh, they're morally good. They're morally upright. And, of course, that, is, that we think um, when you ask somebody, do you consider yourself to be a good person, 
their brain immediately goes to the worst human being they can imagine, Hitler. And so they say, yes, I'm good. Now, they could be a tax evader, a serial adulterer, um, beating their children, and a a crazy alcoholic, a violent alcoholic. But in their mind, they compare themselves to the worst human they can think of, and they say, you know what? I am pretty good. I am a pretty good guy. No, you're not. No, you are absolutely not a good person. There is no one that's good except God. There is none righteous, not even one. So um, people have this wrong idea of our standing before a holy God. They have a wrong view of God himself. They, they think that he's only loving and forgiving and that he would never send somebody to hell because that would contradict him, his loving nature. God is love. The Bible says that. And God can't send someone to hell if he is love. But the problem is he's not just loving. He's not just forgiving. He's also just. He's also righteous. He's also holy. If you were standing before a judge and someone had robbed your house and taken everything of value, all your jewelry, all your uh, special possessions, things that were passed down to you from generations, things that were incredibly valued emotionally and materially, and they caught the individual who broke into your house, and you are there, um, and the defendant is there, and you stand before a judge, you want the judge to dispense justice because you th- you were, your, your home was violated and your belongings were stolen and sold and dis- you know, distributed to other people. You didn't get anything back, and you want justice because someone has wronged you, and that's completely appropriate, and God is just. He is a righteous judge. He's not going to say, well, you were having a hard time. You know, it was Black Friday, and, I mean, clearly we all kind of need some extra money during that time, you know, the sales. And so you would, you would be furious at a judge that did not dispense justice when a wrong has occurred. Same thing with God. God has a standard. He's set the standard. He's written the standard. He's, a, he's shared what the standard is. And if he doesn't keep himself to his own standard, then he's a liar. So he is either a righteous judge or he is an unrighteous judge. Okay, so uh, this is what we believe. This is what Scripture teaches. The unsaved are lost. The unsaved are going to hell. This is three points for you, and it's on your sheet. It says, the Bible teaches there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Those who have never accepted Jesus Christ are lost and are condemned to hell. Those who have never heard the gospel have an inborn knowledge of God, and yet they have rejected the knowledge of God. Also, the Bible teaches that their conscience witnesses to them of rightness and wrongness, but they have chosen to do, they have chosen to do what is wrong. The Bible teaches that sin is a universal condition of all people, Romans 3.23. Um, it has separated them from God, Isaiah 59.2, and it leads them to death, Romans 6.23. And thirdly, Jesus died for the world, John 3.16, and only those who believe in him will e- enjoy eternal life with the Father in heaven, John 14.16, Acts 4.12. Since the Bible is absolutely clear on its exclusionary nature that you must accept Jesus, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
These are incredibly exclusionary statements, and Jesus is making them himself. So why do people, why do some people believe that they don't have to accept Christ in order to go to heaven? Number one, some people believe the Bible teaches that everyone will be saved. Some people believe the Bible teaches that everyone will be saved. There are, I'm not going to mention his name, but there is a very prominent Pentecostal pastor who preaches that uh, Jewish people do not have to accept Jesus Christ because there is a scripture in Revelation that says all Israel will be saved. But the problem is taking that interpretation that, that a group of people do not have to accept Jesus Christ is contradictory to Jesus' own statement that he's the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And so the scripture, all Israel will be saved, is implying an obvious state, an obvious idea. All believing Jews will be saved, just like all believing Gentiles will be saved. If you believe, you will be saved. It doesn't say the word believing in there, but that's clearly what it's implying. And yet this very prominent Pentecostal pastor teaches that there is a whole nationality of people that don't have to accept Jesus Christ because they're Jewish. Well, that would make God a, a uh, um, show favoritism and a respecter of persons, which he says he is not a respecter of persons. So again, that guy's interpretation contradicts multiple scriptures. Um, they believe that there is a plan for everyone to go to heaven, uh, regardless of their religion, regardless of their belief. They feel that there is a scripture in Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9, Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9, that teach that. And it says, these verses say, they sang a new song from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And they suggest that the word every, every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, suggests the inclusive nature of salvation. Yes, the Bible says that some people will be saved out of every tribe, out of every nation, language group, but it does not say that all people from every tribe and language will be saved. And it also doesn't say that every generation of every tribe will be saved. The Bible is exclusion, exclusionary. Uh, number two, some people believe that God will give them a second chance after death. He'll give them a second chance after death. This position is completely contradictory to Scripture. The Bible teaches the need to make a decision in this life because punishment of the unsaved immediately follows death. Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed for people to die once, and after this, what? Judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then judgment. The Bible teaches that after death, people immediately get judged, and they go to heaven or they go to hell. One author, uh, a guy named Norman Geisler, he's written a bunch of books, he asks the question, is there a second chance? Has God provided a second chance for people after death? And this is what he says. Many cults believe that God will give a second chance after death to those who have never heard the gospel. Orthodox Christians reject this because the Bible clearly declares, just as man is destined to die once and after that face judgment. The urgency with which Scripture speaks of making one's decision now in this life is strong evidence that there is no second chance. 
the fact that people immediately go either to heaven or to hell indicates a decision must be made in this life. So, but the issue is not whether the unsaved have heard the gospel or whether they are ignorant of God's requirements. The issue is that all people are lost because they've sinned against him. So no one can claim ignorance is an excuse. We'll get into that in, in a few minutes. But the issue is that all people are lost because everyone has sinned. Number three, some people believe God wants everyone to be saved because he is a good and loving God. They, they believe God wants everyone to be saved because he's a good and loving God. They argue, doesn't God want everyone to be saved? And they note scripture, First uh, Timothy 2, 4, that God wants everyone to be saved. That's what the Bible says. They also contend that since the Lord is good to everyone, Psalm 145, 9, thus he'll save everyone. They may even point to Jesus' own words in John 10, 16, where he says, I have sheep that are not of this fold. It's funny when, when people read that, all the different interpretations of what that means. I've heard one person say, well, it's proof that they're aliens. That is not proof. That is no, there, there is no proof in that statement that there are aliens. Some people say, well, uh, this means that uh, you know, he's got an Islamic fold and a Gentile fold and a Christian fold and a Hindu fold and a Buddhist fold. No, that's not what it means at all because, again, it would contradict Jesus' own words. Um, it means, in my interpretation, Jesus has gone to, he has spoken with Gentiles. He has spoken to Samaritans. He has spoken to different people of different nations and different nationalities in Israel and the surrounding areas. And so he's going to have people that were not of the Jewish fold, and he was letting them know this isn't just an exclusionary Jewish salvation. This is for the whole world. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So the fact that God loves everyone does not mean that everyone will be saved. Yes, God expressed his love to all and that Jesus died for all, but that doesn't guarantee salvation for all. God has called everyone to repent. Acts 17.30, it says, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Repentance is how we uh, accept, how we change, turn, that's what the word repent means, to turn, to do a 180, to go the opposite direction from where you were going. And so, yes, God is good and loving, but he's also just and righteous, and he has a standard that he's revealed, and he expects people to adhere to that standard. Number four, some people believe that God will use a different standard to judge the heathen or the unsaved that he'll use a different standard to judge them. Many non-Christians believe that those who have never heard of Jesus Christ will be judged differently than those who have heard the gospel. But that would make God inconsistent. How would God judge differently those who have heard and those who haven't heard? The Bible calls God true. Deuteronomy 32.4. The Bible calls God true. Um, Jesus calls himself the truth, John 14, 6. Truth, what, what is truth? It's an established or verified fact. 
So it's not something, and people can argue against it, but it is an established and verified fact. It's not an opinion. Now, in our day and age, people like to treat opinions as facts, but that is not true. Uh, that is a, a truth. Opinions are not facts. And some people, they'll say, well, I feel like it should be. I feel like it should be true. And it may be true, but it's an opinion. So we have to understand that truth is uh, an established or verified fact. God is true. Jesus called himself truth. And truth is consistent with itself. It's not going to contradict itself. It's either true or it's untrue. It can't be both. Can we all agree to that? Good. So how can God be consistent and treat one group of people differently from the way he treats another group of people? How could God require one group of people to accept Christ and another group to reject him and reward them both with heaven? That would make God inconsistent. If some people end up in heaven by being good or some arbitrary decision by God, then, as Galatians 2.21 says, Christ died for nothing. If you don't need Jesus to get to heaven, then he died for nothing. Galatians 2.21. And clearly, he didn't go through all he went through because there was some back door that other people could be saved. If this is the easiest way, and I again, we'll, we'll kind of get into this in a minute, but I just, while I'm thinking about it, I want to share it. We like to think that ignorance is an excuse, okay? And it's, it's sometimes hard for us when we think of these, these nations that are completely remote and, and they don't have the internet. They, they can't, you know, beam TBN and watch Joel Osteen. They can't get the Bible in their language. They can't get books. And so we like to think ignorance is an excuse. Um, but ignorance is not an excuse. Um, oh, crap. I was going to say something, but I, I've lost it. So hopefully it'll come back in a second. Um, Jesus died to give everybody an opportunity to go to heaven. He died specifically so that everyone on this planet could go to heaven. Oh, what I was going to say. If ignorance is an excuse, then the best thing Jesus could have said to his disciples after he rose from the dead is, don't tell anybody. If you keep it quiet, then they'll never know. And if ignorance is an excuse, then they can go to heaven. But if you tell them and they reject it, then they go to hell. So the best thing you can do, keep your mouth shut. But clearly, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said the opposite. Tell everybody because they must hear the word of the Lord and they must receive the word of the Lord to be saved. Okay. So, God's justice and God's love are seen together in God's character. God's justice demands that he condemns all sinners, but his love compels him to provide a way of salvation. Romans 10.13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10.13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the opposite of that is true. Everyone who does not call in the name of the Lord, will not be saved. So this is our position on uh, the back of the page. This is the position of the Bible, not just our opinion. 
Uh, but number one, the unsaved are lost because Jesus is the only way to heaven. No normal, loving human being wants to see another one punished and relegated to hell. But Christians believe that the unsaved are lost because Jesus excludes all who have not believed in him. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. I've said it. This is a declaration of Jesus, not the desire of any human. This is a declaration. If he's not the only way, then he's a liar. And what are we doing here? If Jesus is a liar, our faith is worthless, we should just sell this property and let it become you know, a community center. <clears throat> if he's a liar, then we can't take his word on anything. If he's lying there, where else is he lying? If you've raised a teenager and you caught him in one lie, you're like, okay, so that wasn't true, and that was there were several things that preceded that which make me doubt the whole story. Hmm. And if you haven't raised teenagers yet, go ahead and prepare your little internal lie detector. Okay? Because they're not going to tell you the truth. They're going to they're going to think that if they lie so well that you it it just might be believable. You see a bear came out of the woods and I'm thinking we don't have bears around here, but wait, it was a bear, and it was red, and I've never seen one. And you're just like, okay, this is ridiculous. Just stop. This is, you know, getting out of hand. But they'll come up with the most ridiculous lie, and they're, they'll convince themselves that it's true. And in reality, you know that's completely ridiculous. It's not true. Um, and if they lie about that, then what else are they lying about? Well, probably a lot of things, I can tell you that. So if Jesus is a liar, if he lied that he's not the way, the truth, the life, and you can come to the Father through other means but him, if he lied on that, then what else has he lied about? But we understand that we can take his word, Um because Jesus has, was consistent, and Scripture is consistent on this topic. Um, in Acts chapter 4, Acts 4.12, if you're writing Scriptures down, Acts 4.12, Peter preached to those who rejected Jesus Christ, and he said to them, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. These are two exclusive statements. Salvation in no one else, no other name under heaven, given to people by which we must be saved. Uh, Peter excluded all the other ways to heaven. He didn't, he didn't say, you can stay a Jew. All you Jewish people, you're cool. God loves you. Jesus was a Jew. You can stay a Jew. You don't need to accept Christ. He's been cool with the sacrifices. You're totally cool. Just... Calm down. No, he excludes everybody, and he says, you must accept Christ because there's no one else. Uh, salvation is found in no one else. So only those who believe in Jesus Christ will go to heaven and excludes all the other ways to heaven. Now, you might be thinking, what about 2,000 years ago, before there was the Internet, before there was you know, radio and Morse code and ways to communicate language, 
how can God be a just, uh, how can God be a loving God if salvation, when Jesus died and rose from the dead, if salvation can only be attained in Christ, in believing on him, and there are people all over the world that are not going to hear the gospel for sometimes maybe a thousand years. The gospel may not get to the Americas until 1500s, along with smallpox. That's a different story. So, you know, all of these, all of these people in all the world, and Jesus died in Israel and was resurrected, and then the gospel began to spread, but it didn't spread immediately. So how can God be loving, and uh, how can he judge people uh, uh, with a standard that he hasn't given them the message yet? Do you understand? Uh, that was kind of a convoluted question, convoluted way of saying it. But you understand, if somebody lived in 40 A.D. in, in you know, uh, China or North America or South America or whatever, and they haven't heard, and they're not going to hear um, until our, you know, conquering armies go into all these different places and take the gospel as well as, you know, capitalism. Um, how are they, how are, how is God going to hold them accountable to uh, the standard and the requirement? Well, what you find out is when you start researching indigenous people groups, um, they almost all of them have a myth, a, a story within their, uh, their religion, their mythology of a spirit speaking to them. Uh, Native American tribes, the the great spirit in the sky. They have all of these different people groups have a, uh, I, I don't know if all of them do, but a lot of them have this this story that a spirit visited them. And of course, it's that moment where they either accept what the spirit says or reject what the spirit says. A lot of times people have dreams, um, and in these dreams, the truth is revealed. Muslims value dreams and visions. And so when Jesus reveals himself in dreams and visions, they find the nearest Christian they can, they can find and accept Christ because they have a, a high value in that. So, I mean, God has ways of communicating the truth to people because his, his goal is for none to perish but all come to repentance. So he's not going to punish people who live in South America who aren't going to hear the gospel for 1,500 years. He wants them to live. So he's going to provide a way for that to happen. We may not know that or understand that because that was a long time ago, but that is our God is loving and just. Does that make sense? Good. Hopefully it does. <clears throat> you have a question? Yeah. So for the purposes of the recording, um, the, the statement was about the wise men from the east, and they came, they saw his star, and it was bright and big and beautiful, and uh, the scripture actually says it rested over the place where he was. So most likely, like if you look at the night sky, the brightest thing you're going to see is Venus, besides the sun. Uh, at the night sky, the brightest thing you're going to see, the moon obviously reflecting the, the sun, towards the earth, but Venus is going to be the brightest thing you can see. Um, as far as stars are concerned, so, and, and, and when, you, when you look, you can see, um, if you look at something and it's really bright white and it's not blinking at you, it's a planet. It's reflecting the light of the sun, and so we see that. 
So the fact that this was something so unique, so bright, so beautiful, it certainly would have captured their attention. And as they followed it, um, it just got brighter and brighter and brighter and until it was over uh, the place where Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which most likely was an angel, I would imagine. You know, this bright, beautiful angel. And from a distance, all they can see is this bright white light. But as they get closer, they see that it is directly above where Jesus is. And so they go into that. That's just my interpretation of it. But, um, you know, God absolutely called them from the east, and, and they were, he used uh, their, their science to reveal the gospel, to reveal salvation. Carolyn, were you going to say something? I agree. I believe that that since Jesus said Scripture cannot be broken, and one of the Scriptures is that his desire is that all come to repentance, um, then he's going to provide the method for that. And he's not going to hold people uh, accountable to um, a means of salvation that he, he refuses to reveal. Um, so all right, uh, let's continue. Number two, the unsaved are lost because they are... Sinners. The unsaved are lost because they're sinners. Sinners sin. That's what they do, and they do it really, really well. The indictment of the Bible uh, is that all have sinned. All are sinners by birth, as evidenced by David's own confession. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. That's Psalm 51, 5. Psalm 51, 5. Romans 5, 12. It says, death has spread to all men because all sinned. When you have a baby, you hold in your hand the most beautiful and selfish person on the planet. They don't care what you're doing. Their caring for them trumps everything else. With the twins, every uh, two hours they must eat. It takes them an hour to eat. And then they want to fall asleep. And they sleep for 30 minutes, and then they're wide awake for 30 minutes, and the cycle just begins to repeat. And I ask, when am I supposed to sleep? And the answer is, when you're dead. Because when you have twins, it doesn't matter. Your priority is taking care of them. And so we are constantly, Angela and I are constantly swapping babies. Um, And uh, finally, we just realized, you know what? This is not working. We're both exhausted. So I would take the midnight to 6 a.m. shift, and I would take care of both babies. 
I watch Netflix and, and feed them and change them and take care of them. So she got six hours of uninterrupted sleep. It's okay. Husband of the year. I already know. Six hours uninterrupted sleep. Okay? And so at 6 a.m., I would walk in the room and I would say, honey, honey, it's time. It, it's your turn. And she would go, okay, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Six hours uninterrupted sleep. I would crawl in the bed at 6 in the morning and plan. I would plan to sleep until noon because that's six hours. And I thought I gave her six hours uninterrupted sleep. Now it's my turn. And at 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, I need your help. Uh, okay, well, I'm sleeping. No, but I, I need your help. I need your help right now. I'm like, oh, what's going on? I can't do this by myself. I need you to come in. And I'm like, this is, this is not fair, honey. This is not fair. And she's like, you can sleep when you're dead, honey. Get up. They're your children, too. They're your children, too. They're, they actually look more like you than they do like me. I don't know why I was the incubator, and apparently they don't look like me at all. So, um, <clears throat> so um, children are natural-born sinners, and they reveal that uh, on a daily basis. Um, and uh, if you don't believe me, have another one, and you'll find that out very quickly. So what's the result of sin and death spreading, well, none are righteous. We are all under sin, Romans 3, 9 through 10. No one righteous, not even one. Even on your best day, on your most righteous day, you're still a sinner. Because even if you don't commit a sin, you might be omitting something. You might, you might need to do something that you don't do, or say something that you shouldn't say, or allow impure thoughts to grab hold of your mind. So um, you are a sinner. Uh, thankfully, we are saved by grace. But we have that, that, that nature that still tries to uh, pull us back towards sin. Romans 3.23, I said it before, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what are the consequences of sin? Well, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. I, I like the, the concept of imagine you have a full-time job, and uh, from that full-time job you get a paycheck, and that paycheck, that's your wages. So imagine uh, you know, the analogy. Sin is your full-time job, and the paycheck that you get from sinning all the time is death. The wages of sin is death. People are not lost and go to hell because they have not heard the gospel. They are lost and go to hell because they are sinners. They are not, they, they are not lost because they're ignorant of God's law. They are lost because they've sinned against him. Number three, the unsaved are lost because they have an inborn knowledge of God in their hearts, but they have rejected him. They have rejected him. God has revealed himself to all people. And as a result, everyone is without excuse. All are born with an awareness of God. Because people know God, but reject him, they are without excuse. Romans 1.20. We are without excuse. Um, and you can write the Romans 1.18-19 down as well, because I'm going to uh, read it for you. It says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven... Until against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth since what can be known about God is evident 
among them. And what do they know about God? Uh, Romans 1.20, from the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made. One of the most fascinating things I came across, and this is outside the notes, but um, is what's called Fibonacci sequence, or what other people call the golden spiral. And the golden spiral is uh, a mathematical uh, thing. You can actually Google it. Um, so the, um, the design that, it is, that is in a nautilus shell, it's this small little uh, spiral that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that can actually be graphed on uh, you know, an XY graph. You can actually take the numbers that make up Fibonacci sequence and graph it. And you can see it over and over and over in, in nature. In nautilus shells, and, and uh, you can see it in sunflower patterns, the seed patterns. If you Google Fibonacci sequence or the golden spiral, the golden sequence, stuff like this, um, you'll come up with all sorts of really fascinating things. And um, essentially, it is uh, a, an infinite and ever-enlarging downward spiral. Um, so it, it on an XY graph, it just looks like a larger spiral. But on an XYZ graph, you'll see that it actually goes down. It's a downward spiral. And you get Fibonacci's sequence by taking two numbers and dividing them among themselves. And it creates this chain of numbers um, that becomes Fibonacci's sequence. Those two numbers. And see, the cool thing about the Hebrew Bible, what I really love about the Old Testament is that the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament is written in the Hebrew language, and every Hebrew letter is also a Hebrew number, which means that every word in the Old Testament has a numerical value. Now, I don't get too much into numerology. It's cool when things show up, but it's not, I don't necessarily consider it an inspired of the Lord. It's, it's cool, but, you know, just something you just kind of are aware of. So <clears throat> what happens is, the two numbers that you uh, divide, I, I, I think it's like 144 and 233. Again, I didn't prepare for, to talk about this. But two numbers. Basically, it's what happens when you take the numerical value of the phrase Garden of Eden and you divide it by the numerical phrase, the numerical value for the phrase tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when the tree of knowledge of good and evil is activated, in the Garden of Eden, you create a mathematical downward spiral. And that is essentially what we're living in. We are in a downward spiral. Uh, but that's where those two numbers come from. And so, to me, it's like God is revealing himself. Even the nerdiest mathematician sees this how can you see something like this and, and not realize, man, there is something going on here. This doesn't happen by accident. To, and to have that design, that sequence play over and over and over in so many different methods of nature, you can see God throughout creation uh, in, in so many unique ways. So from the creation of the world, his invisible attributes have been clearly seen, being understood through what was made. Our bodies are incredibly complex. 
I think it's interesting. I actually have this deep thought. Maybe y'all will think this is dumb, but I was just driving down the road, and I thought, you know, cows eat grass. I think we can all agree with that. Uh, I don't know if they eat hay or straw, but they typically eat grass, and they produce uh, milk. All they eat is grass. Um, Other species of mammals eat all sorts of things, and they produce milk as well. Their body manages to take what their diet is, whatever they eat, and change it and create milk through the mammary glands and all that stuff. I just felt like that was fascinating. When a woman gets pregnant, she doesn't have to switch to a diet of lawn clippings. She can eat whatever she wants. Anyway, so without getting too, too, I just thought that was so interesting. God has created and established these processes and uh, set them in place through nature and science. And when we look up at the stars and, and uh, you know, all of these different things, we have a black hole at the center of our galaxy, and it does not affect us one bit. A black hole sucks in all the light, and if you get too close to the black hole, it will suck in planets and objects and crush them. If you get so close to a black hole, um, if you're on a planet that's near a black hole, but outside what's called the event horizon so it doesn't get sucked in, time passes completely different on that planet than it does anywhere else. There are places, there's a planet that's near a black hole, and if you were to spend one hour on that planet, it would equate to 1,000 years on Earth. So, I mean... Jesus could have been on that planet for an hour and a thousand years would have elapsed on earth. If you take a watch and you take two watches and synchronize them to the exact time and you put one on a mountain and one at the Dead Sea, they will have completely different times when you bring them back together. You can actually, if you place a watch on the floor, uh, if it's exact enough, not a pocket watch, but a, a, a measure, you know, scientific measuring watch, place it on the floor and then place it on the top of the building. It will have different times because gravity affects time. So there's all of these things within nature and science that God is revealing complex things. And that is ridiculous if you think that evolution managed to create the perfect scenario for there to be life on earth. It is ridiculous. And so God has revealed himself over and over and over through chemistry and biology and astronomy and all of these uh, things. And then yet, personally, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Daniel and Isaiah and Jesus, obviously, and then forward. He's not just the God of astronomy. He's the God of us personally as well. So the unsaved know there's a God because they see his evidence everywhere, and, that, and yet they reject him. They stare up at the exact same stars that we do and wonder, how did they get there? Who hung the stars in their place? Who put the sun at the exact distance from the earth so it didn't scorch us and it didn't freeze us? And they're like, oh, the Big Bang and evolution, it just magically happened. That's ridiculous. You'll hear me say that a lot when it comes to these arguments, because it really is. They, they look down at creation the same way we do, 
and see how perfectly all sorts of things are made. Human beings are the only things in God's creation that can, uh, that have the mental and physical capacity for conducting a symphony, delivering stand-up comedy, building a skyscraper, painting a sunset. Yes, you can teach a chimpanzee to do those things, but you have to teach him to do it. They don't, they don't, they're not born with the ability to paint a Van Gogh, to do Monet's water lilies. You have to teach them how to paint. You have to teach them sign language. You have to teach them these things. But most other creation, it doesn't matter. You can teach your dog English, and it doesn't matter. It will never respond to you in English. Well, okay, that one dog, I love you. All right, that's, that's a mutant, and it should be put down. No, I'm just kidding. Um, God made us unique, unique, so different from any other living thing. So people know there's a God. They just choose to reject him. And our biggest problem is that we struggle with the question, is it fair to condemn those who have not heard? Our sense of fairness wants ignorance of the law to be excused for breaking the law. And in a, crime, in a world of crime and punishment, you ask any police officer, any lawyer, any judge, if ignorance of the law is an excuse for breaking the law, and they will tell you a resounding no. It is your responsibility to know what the law is. Ignorance of the law is not an excuse for breaking the law. So while they may be ignorant of what Christ did for them on the cross, they are not ignorant of sin because they see its effects. They're not ignorant of death because they definitely see their, its effects, and they're not ignorant of a supreme being because he's made himself known throughout all the creation. So number four, the unsaved are lost because they have not obeyed their consciences. They have not obeyed their consciences. Every person was born with a conscience. My soon-to-be three-year-old son, Sam, now Gideon as. He, he doesn't do this, but Samuel absolutely does. If he does something that he's not supposed to do, all you have to do goes, all you, all you have to do is go, ooh, and Sam will put his head down and stick out his big bottom lip and, and look up at you. He begins to feel shame. And then you tell him, should you have done that? And he'll go, no. And so he understands his conscience is telling him, I did wrong. Sometimes he does wrong, and he looks at us to see if he's getting away with it. And we're like, do not, Gideon is the worst at this. I'll set my soda down. Now, one thing you need to know about me is I don't share food. I don't share drinks. Ever. That's how the coronavirus spreads. I don't share food, and I don't share drinks. Now, Angela may be an exception, but she's got to use a clean fork or a clean straw or something like that, no backwash, whatever. So I set a drink down, and I say, Gideon, that's my drink. Don't drink that drink. That's Daddy's drink. And I go, okay, Daddy. And you turn your back for half a second, and he has got the drink in his hand, and he's, he's like guzzling it. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he puts it down, and he's like, I was getting it for you. <laughs> like, you are a liar. You were not getting it from me. You were drinking it, and I told you not to drink it. He has a conscience. As soon as I catch him, he, he feels guilt. He feels shame. He realizes, Daddy is mad. I shouldn't have done that. So we have an inborn sense of right and wrong, and it comes from this inward uh, awareness of God. People do not 
listen, they do not obey their God-given conscience. Romans 2.12 and 2.14. Romans 2.12 and verse 14, it says, God will punish the Gentiles when they sin. When Gentiles who do not have God's written law instinctively follow what the law says, they show that in their hearts. So when Gentiles don't have the law, but they obey the law, they're revealing that God has written the law on their heart. They know they shouldn't steal. They shouldn't murder. They shouldn't do all these things. However, in reverse, the born-again Christian knows he has eternal life because he's accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. When someone turns to Jesus, you realize that salvation is a narrow door, and that door is Jesus. And when you walk through the narrow door, you enter the straight path that leads to eternal life. Those who accept Christ fully embrace him for salvation, knowing there is no other salvation, knowing there is no other way to heaven, there is no other means of salvation. It is not, well, you can be a Buddhist and that's perfectly fine for you. No, not if you love that person, not if you know that Scripture says there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. It's not Buddha, it's not Krishna, it's not Krishna or Vishnu or Muhammad or any other name under heaven by which anyone can be saved. So, are the unsaved really lost? Yes. Every page of the Bible reveals the sinfulness of man. And as a result of sin, people are lost and they are condemned to hell. Will God set anybody free on a technicality, such as maybe a court might do if you've got a really good lawyer like Keisha? She's really good at what she does and she gets you off on a technicality. No. Everyone knows he is a sinner. Everyone is born with the knowledge of God in his heart. So everyone who has not acknowledged God, not sought God or received Christ as a Savior will be condemned and not even the best defense attorney can get you off. Is God fair to condemn the unsaved who have not heard the gospel? Well, God is always fair. He cannot be otherwise. Everyone is commanded to repent and turn to God, and everyone has had a chance to turn to Christ. So what is the responsibility of Christians? What is our responsibility We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Make disciples of all men. That means going to every person and preaching the gospel to them. Once they believe in Christ, they are to be baptized. Go go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And believers are to seek to bring all Christians to maturity, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Being a Christian and being an evangelical does not make us uh, guilty of bigotry to think that only our view is right. They say it's narrow-minded of us to limit heaven to those who only come through Jesus Christ. But here's, here's the key. Truth is narrow. Truth is incredibly narrow. Is it bigotry to say some people can survive without food and water? No, that's truthful. They need food and water to live. So it's a true statement. Is it bigotry to say that you can hang glide all the way to the moon? No, because it's not truthful. It's, it's life-saving to tell somebody, you can't do that. There was a guy who strapped rockets on his car and wanted to take off and set the land speed record. The problem is, I think it was like a Lincoln Continental. It was one of the really old ones. 
And you know what happens to rockets? They like to explode, which is a terrible idea. Sometimes people can have this idea of this will be okay. You know, the truth won't affect me. And then they pour rocket fuel into their car and it explodes. So sometimes the truth is narrow. Sometimes we tell people a version of the truth they don't want to hear, or not a version of the truth. We tell them truth they don't want to hear. And some people's hearts are receptive and open, and others are closed. They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the gospel. And so we can never take it personally when someone um, rejects what you have to say. The final thing I'll say is that sincerity is not enough. In our day and age, we, and if you are on social media, you know all too well that people are sincerely wrong all day long about all sorts of things. Some people are sincerely wrong about everything, okay? So sincerity is not the litmus test for whether something is true or not. Um, sincerity doesn't get a young man to the National Football League, you know? I mean, it worked for Rudy. He did get called up in the last game for the Notre Dame, you know, game, but he didn't get the NFL. You know, sincerity doesn't get you everything you want. You have to actually have a meet a standard in order to get to uh, what you want. And the same thing is true with the gospel. There is a standard, and you have to meet that standard if you are to accept, uh, if you are to receive, be received by God. Does everybody understand that? I know that was kind of a little convoluted there at the end. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Therefore, when a person knows Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, he must come to the Father through him. A lot of people think, you know, um, well, whatever you think is fine for you, but this is my truth. And this is what I believe. And we talked about that, I think, in the very first session. Truth is not relative. It's absolute. It either is true or is not true. It can't be true for you and false for me. It has to be true or untrue. And so we have to help people understand that 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 idea of truth is not relative. There is a way that seems right to people, but in the end, it will lead to their destruction. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time tonight. We pray your blessings upon these folks. We pray for those especially traveling next week and that you keep them safe, help them enjoy themselves, keep them healthy. And uh, we pray, Lord, for a great time on Sunday, great time of celebration of what you've done in the lives of the Womacks and their ministry on the Canary Islands and a great time for us to just gather together as a church family. So bless us and keep us, Lord. Make us light and salt to our neighbors, our friends, our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.